Hello and welcome to this Shoesmith podcast on the ever-important topic of financial crime and specifically what to expect in 2022. My name is Jonathan Crook and I'm a partner in Shoesmith's Financial Services Disputes and Investigations team specialising in financial services litigation and regulatory enforcement. I'm joined today by two financial crime experts. Darren Allen is also a partner at Shoesmiths with over 30 years experience of advising banks and other financial institutions on financial crime, money laundering and terrorist financing. In addition, we are delighted to be joined by Tom Townsend, partner at Graham Thornton, also specialising in financial crime. If I can kick off then, Tom and Darren, with an open question. There were a number of fines handed out for financial crime failings in 2021. What lessons, if any, can firms take from the fines that may assist them in mitigating risk in 2022? Jonathan, thanks for that. I mean, I think that the recent fines, not just last year, but the year before as well, have revealed a shift in focus by the regulator to look at, um, the, in particular, the monitoring um, processes that are being put in place um, by banks. Commerce Bank, Standard Chartered, HSBC and, and the NatWest um, fine uh, all pointed to um, problems with monitoring. Um, and by monitoring, I mean transaction monitoring alerts not being properly calibrated, um, uh, people not understanding how those alerts um, uh, operate in practice and not investigating those alerts properly. And then also keeping um, customer due diligence up to date. So, you know, there were, in a number of those fines, we saw um, customer reviews not taking place um, at the right time, particularly high risk customers who, who um, where there was a significant delay in, um, in reviewing those accounts, which then led to the firm being at risk of facilitating money laundering. So I think um, from, from my perspective, there are lots of other things that emerged from those fines. Um, and Tom will you know, perhaps can um, elaborate on those. But um, for, for me, monitoring of accounts is um, it was the was the big issue coming out of all those fines last year. Um, thanks, Aaron. I think that's um, that's right. Um, I think if you think about the uh, money laundering regulations and the financial crime regime that we have in place in the UK, um, there is this kind of underlying assumption that all of the processes all of the systems and controls um, are all lined up in service of compliance with those uh, regulations. Uh, but of course, I think um, as, you're, as you're talking about there, um, the, the recent enforcement actions that have taken place and, and the work that uh, we as firms are engaged in tells us that that isn't the case, that firms often don't have the right data, they don't have it at the right time, uh, the processes aren't lined up uh, with the appropriately competent people to um, deal with the data that uh, engaging with customers gives them. And so although sometimes they identify financial crime, even if they do, they don't often make good judgments in relation to that information. And so perhaps uh, customers that they, the high-risk customers you refer to, that they would otherwise like to have, have exited from their institutions, perhaps haven't been, and that's um, evident from the enforcement actions that have, uh, that have been published recently. I think it's it's fair to say that most of those institutions that have been in the press and, and most large financial institutions in the UK have some kind of financial crime programme where they are trying to make amendments to their infrastructure 
in order to make sure that they can comply with the money laundering regulations and the Proceeds of Crime Act. The, the difficulty that they have, in all honesty, is that the what, what came first, their banking platforms came first, and the money laundering regime came afterwards. And so they are, for most part, trying to retrofit one to the other. And unfortunately, that doesn't happen overnight. It's extremely complicated and very expensive. And so dealing with those high-risk customers still presents some quite considerable problems to them, even though you know, those problems have been around for quite a long time. I suppose the other point to, um, to also to bear in mind, Jonathan, is that last year we saw the first ever prosecution. Um, and it does seem to me that, certainly listening, listening to the FCA, that um, yeah, they regarded that as a, as a big success and they have indicated that they'll go down the same route again, actually, which I think is really, really interesting development, not one we've seen before. Um, and uh, I think you know, lots of firms need to be aware that in the most egregious of cases, they, they could face a prosecution. I, th I think, again, that's right, Darren. I mean, I did see some um, on the FCA's website or on the but possibly the uh, Treasury's website, uh, a letter between the CEO of the FCA and some members of the Treasury Select Committee pretty much saying that they've got, you know, 40 enforcement cases of some kind or other in the financial crime space on the go at the moment, some of which are in an advanced stage. And uh, they didn't use the word uh, criminal prosecution, but they used the word misconduct, however one would read that. So clearly there are some... Uh, additional cases in the, in the pipeline that could be going down down the down the same um, route. Uh, I think going back to some of the, your earlier comments, there the FCA clearly wants uh, firms to manage the nascent financial crime risk that they have in their businesses. And at the moment, um, despite the resources being thrown at it, there there is nascent financial crime risk, and those backlogs and uh, timeliness delays are meaning that uh, the management of financial crime risk is not happening in the way that is intended. I think that's that's where we're at at the moment. Thanks very much. So um, if we breaking that down into a bit more detail, perhaps, um, from the perspective of the regulators, what are the specific areas that you, you think that they might be focusing on in, in 2022? So I think um, the, the FCA is uh, is demonstrating in lots of uh, of different areas across financial uh, regulation, Jonathan. As you know, in some of the things that you look at, um, their go to strategy for um, signalling to senior people in organisations, regulated businesses, is their their fondness for the dear CEO letter, and um, and there's been no shortage of. Uh, uh, reference to financial crime and it, and the financial crime regime in some of those DCO letters, uh, the one of which, one of which was you know, the most significant one from my point of view, the one towards retail banks, um, expecting them to do a, a gap analysis against the core um, deficiencies as the FCA um, quite rightly saw it, uh, and asking everybody to do that gap analysis. Um, and my guess would be, and a reasonably educated guess would be, that that will form the basis of some supervisory discussions in 2022 for those um, firms where there is other information coming to the FCA where they feel like there might be some financial crime deficiencies. It's an easy first question for the supervisors to ask those regulated firms is, you know, the DCEO letter we sent you last year, can you show us your gap analysis? And uh, then they're, they're off to the races in terms of them understanding, you know, what the, the culture of the firm is like in, in kind of handling uh, those kinds of questions and, and what the state of compliance is within, within those institutions. 
I think if I if I was a supervisor, that would be my my go to based on on the on the letter content of those letters. Really, I entirely agree, Tom. I think the the DSCA letters, um, both on retail and on um, trade finance, um, are uh, firms that undertake that kind of work need to pay particular attention to those letters. In particular, risk assessments. I think you know. Since the 2007 regulations, I, I, th- I, you know, I don't think um, the FCA has visited many banks, primarily because of the pandemic, but I think they'll, they'll be looking at business-wide risk assessments. They'll be looking at customer risk assessments. Mm. They'll be looking at the risk rating of clients and the enhanced measures put in place to, to, um, to deal with high-risk customers. Um, there's also a big thing about the blurring of the three lines of defense, and in particular, yeah. the first line of defense um, yeah, so the second line of defence um, undertaking work that's carried out by the first line, um, which uh, featured quite heavily in the retail CEO letter. So I think there's a lot, a lot um, which will come out of those CEO letters. Also, governance and culture are going to are going to feature very highly um, when the um, FCA start visiting firms. So there's a there's a huge amount for the regulators to focus on in two, in 2022. Uh, again, a lot of them came out actually of the um, the fines in the last four years, and it will be a continuation of that process. Yes, I mean those those requirement notices that went out in 2021 and the early ones in 2022 have all of those core pillars of the financial crime regime that you've just talked about. Um, they they were in last year's requirement notices, and they're in this year's requirement notices already, and and align very heavily with the what's in those DS, uh, CEO letters. You know risk assessment, business-wide risk assessment, customer risk assessment methodology. They're the, a window on the soul of how you deal with financial crime, really. Everything everything flows from that. And so if uh, FCA is going to start anywhere, it would be with that and governance and oversight, as you say. If we broaden it out, perhaps, and look at fraud issues more 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 generally um and in particular the the, the risks to consumers of financial crime and the risks of, of regulated firms being involved in some way or shape or form in relation to financial crime. We've got the, um, uh, the proposals in relation to the new consumer duty. Is that something that has any relevance, Darren, for example, in relation to the area of financial crime as you see it? I think it will do, Jonathan. I think um, the thing about the new consumer duty when it comes into effect in 2023 is that all banks will now need to start considering it now and how they actually um, you know, get everything in order to comply with that duty. Um, and and it, it's going to require a cultural shift in many respects, um, putting the customer or standing in the shoes of the customer, putting the customer first at, at all times. And I think that um, has a that'll have a really interesting um implication for those that are seeking to combat financial crime. I think the, the, the principles will stay the same and where um, banks come, come across um, individuals that, that um, are acting in a suspicious manner, nothing will change there. But things like, for example, exiting products will be, will be quite interesting um, and the extent to which you um, have to um, document uh, that process. It's very interesting in the Commerce Bank fine, for example, there was um, the, the FCA commented that there it wasn't really a, an exiting process in place. Or, and so therefore, customers may have been treated differently depending on their circumstances. And that, that I think, is quite, quite interesting. I think when you've seen um, you know, banks, for want of a better phrase, de-risking, that, that may, the, the, the consumer duty might um, have an impact on those decisions and, um, and the remedies available to customers when they have been exited. 
I'd, I'd agree with that totally. You know, from from a, from a you know a lawyer's perspective, I can see that you know that that is all the exit process is already one that gets subject to challenge. Yeah. You can you can imagine that um, a, a consumer duty that is uh, kind of treating customers fairly on speed. Forgive the forgive the, uh, <laughs> the phrase. Um, you know, you can imagine that that would give more you know, kind of grist to the mill of, of of those who wish to challenge those kind of exit decisions and perhaps arm some of those customers who feel like they've been uh, treated unfairly um you know give them more leverage over the over the banks that are maybe exiting them i th- i think it's it's uh it's cast so broadly this consumer the customer consumer duty um that that you can imagine that uh from a, as a regulatory tool, we we're talking about supervision before. As a regulatory tool, you could imagine it would come in very, very handy. Um, you know, I, I, I posted on uh, on my LinkedIn page a few weeks ago um, my disquiet with not that anybody would necessarily listen to it, but my disquiet with um, my hometown has had five banks, five bank branches in it, probably eighteen months, two years ago. It now has zero. In one town of what twenty five thousand people, all five banks of exit of well, that shall remain nameless have all exited the town, and it's quite an interesting thing in terms of access to um, banking facilities. Just generally, um, the use of cash, which for some segments of customers is more important than others. Um, who, when they entered into particular financial products, they had a, an expectation of being able to engage with their bank in a particular way, um, and that is now a change is now forced upon them because they either have to go to an, another intermediary, um, you know, probably the post office if there's an agency agreement with their with their bank, or forcing them to go online. And that may cause difficulties for them. And uh, you can imagine this kind of consumer duty and the vulnerable customer agenda kind of coming together there. And of course, there are financial crime aspects to that as well, and the fraud aspects, and the and the way that you're forcing customers to interact with their financial institution in the way that isn't how they wanted to interact with them and wasn't intended when they entered into a particular product. That then causes difficulties in terms of the narrative with which they engage with their financial institution, which presents opportunities for fraudsters and how they can interpose themselves into, in the customer relationship with their financial institution. So I, I think there are so many places you can go with the whole this whole duty, and it'd be interesting to see how where it's taken. You make a good point about vulnerable customers, actually, because um, you know, there's as you say, the SCA has produced um, a number of papers on on how firms should treat vulnerable customers. Yeah. Uh, um, allied to that is the concern about authorised push payments, uh, um, and then um, then layer on top of that the consumer duty. And there's a significant duty on banks actually to um, to seek to protect those individuals who are identified as being vulnerable and are potentially um, at risk of suffering an authorised push payment fraud. Yes, you can you can see that that whole it's the relationship being disturbed and creating those opportunities for that that type of. That type of fraud, and of course, you've got the other PSR consultation going on uh, in the background as well. Arguably, that's going in the direction of placing greater emphasis on the role of the bank 
and formalize more formalization of the kind of contingent reimbursement model, making that uh, uh, putting that on a more formal footing. It'll be where where banks will be being expected, and PSBs and others will be being expected to foot that bill. Yeah. More um, often than not, you can you can see there being some crossover here, where decisions by banks say to close branches and force particular sections of the community to bank in a way which they weren't intending to, being cited as a reason why somebody fell foul of of, uh, of a fraudster. And, and that being and that being regarded as something that was a potentiating factor and false, you know, um, find, finding against the banks and, and and of course, you know, some of those banks their um, reimbursement, um, you know, they're in the ninety percent of you know upholding complaints, yep. um, and that is expensive for them. And you can only really see that based on the customer duty. PSR consultation that like going in one direction really. What's perhaps interesting as well, or certainly I find is interesting, is um, is that at the start of the year there was a lot of attention on issues around frauds or or scams and so on, and a lot of that was driven by the um, uh, debate in relation to the online harms bill and what that would cover. And the sense that I get, and there was a lot of discussion there in relation to what actually ought to be the role of the regulators, and in particular the FCA in relation to that. The sense that I get is that actually that that's not being talked about quite as much now when the focus has shifted more to what the specific obligations are on the part of firms in relation to financial crime. But it's important nonetheless to recognise that the FCA for example, has got a very direct role in relation to what it does in order to prevent um, uh, or it, or reduce the risk of financial crime. I mean, is that am I alone in that in that perception, or is that something that you think is fair? I, I think um, I mean I'm involved in a thing called Stop Scams, which you, you may have heard of, um, which is bringing together the financial institu- financial institutions, the uh, telecoms companies, and some of the tech firms. And um, and that is in in a way supported by FCA and of course Ofcom, and uh, with the online uh, safety bill, I think we're calling it now. Um, you know that they are going to have a part to play. I think I saw in the news that um, it is being recommended that the government include paid for advertising within the scope of the online safety bill, which is a which is a major departure from where everybody thought it was going and and that will draw in those tech firms um to to you know having to demonstrate when they're engaging with the people that buy advertising on their platforms that they are who they say they are and that they're doing those entities are doing the right thing so that's probably more in the going to be in the um within the world of ofcom um but then today it's only today another consultation has come out which i think is suggesting in the crypto world where FCA is um, going to be taking a greater role and is going to uh, amend the um, financial promotions um, order to include um, crypto advertising within their remit. And so um, clearly, on one hand, you've got Ofcom likely to get uh, greater involvement. And in other similar areas, crypto advertising, you're seeing the FCA wanting to take a, a greater uh, role or taking steps to 
improve the regulatory environment so that some of those things that are causing customer harm can be um, addressed. Okay, thanks. So moving on, and I guess for some, this is the million dollar question. Uh, 2021 saw the first prosecution of a firm under the money laundering regulations. Is that a one-off or are we likely to see more prosecutions in 2022 or investigations with a view to prosecution? I think we'll certainly see investigations with a view to a prosecution. I think the FCA have made that clear. I mean, we've, we are aware of a number of dual track investigations that are, that are ongoing. The FCA has made it clear that they'll only prosecute in the most egregious of cases. And so therefore, I think you would, you know, unlike the um, cases last year, you know, I think you'll need to see probably actual money laundering taking place before the FCA goes down that prosecution route. But I think what you will see um, if A is dual track investigation, but then you'll see a whole raft of other things going on. So I think we'll see an increase in enforcement activities. It's good. It quietened down during the, the early part of the pandemic, it seems to me. We'll see um, variations of permission, so VREX. Um, I think we'll see more Section 166 skilled persons appointed um, to look at you know, policies, procedures, and, and so on. And I think we'll see remediation exercises being undertaken by firms um, following FCA visits. So um, we might not see uh, you know, a huge number of prosecutions, um, but I think we'll see a lot of enforcement activity yeah. in 2022. Um, and, and, and I think it's likely that they will follow up with a prosecution or two. I don't know whether it be this year or next year, but I think certainly the, 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 the noise coming out of the FCA would seem to suggest this, that, that last year's prosecution was not a one-off. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think um, if you think about the the one that's just been published, that's a, a situation where the financial institution concerned is um, pleading guilty, but the actions that relate to this that prosecution are years ago. Mm. And, and so even in that scenario, that has taken su- such a long time between the parties to come to some kind of agreement where that where they where everybody understands the direction of travel that's what six or seven years I think um, and so whether whether it'll land one or land in this coming year whether one is ready at the particular stage of of engagement with FCA um, you can definitely see that uh, it's likely that there'll be more um, and there'll certainly be more enforcement without a doubt there'll be more enforcement action um, whether there's uh, one of those criminal uh, one's coming along is um, it will, will depend on the particular circumstances of, of the cases that are ongoing. I think. I think one one thing I was interested to see. I don't know whether you, I think you noticed it. The um, change in the the consultation that talks about the FCA uh, changing the regulatory decisions committee and how much of the um, in the, the kind of low level enforcement action has to be referred. And uh, the things that you're talking about down there, the the V the V Rex, um, and and how they're going to be able to be used without reference to the RDC, probably means that there'll be more of that low level, uh, well, not low level to the firms, but low level in a regulatory sense. There'll be more of that kind of interaction in financial crime world. It is FCA's go-to tool where they're concerned that um, unrestrained financial crime risk is being taken on by firms. It's their go-to strategy for, for turning the tap off when they engage with the firm. And you could see, um, given that there'll be less need for referral, you can see more, more of that, um, happening in the near, in the near term. I entirely agree. Yeah. And I think we'll see a lot more targeted, um, 
visits to firms as well. I think, um, again, because of the pandemic, there perhaps hasn't, haven't been as many visits by the FCA firms. And I think that's going to increase, particularly actually for perhaps the smaller players in the market that may not have, been, that may not have had a visit from the FCA for a number of years. Yes, I think it's. I think it, uh, one of our one of my colleagues back at uh, GT, Gavin Stewart, who's an ex regulator, was uh, citing to me the other day that uh, only 0.8 percent of regulated firms had a had a visit or interaction with FCA in 2021. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, from the my engagement with them, that a lot of that is the right kind of interaction to be having. But there's definitely there's definitely. Um, Definitely room for for more there, but it'd be interesting to see as FCA utilizes uh, the supervisory teams get more involved in utilizing some of these tools themselves rather than referring it. Um, how much uh, lawyer involvement there will be that would have been upfront of those kinds of decisions actually is deferred down the line. It'd be interesting to see how that pans out for for you, you gents as you yeah. carry out your work. Yeah, well, I think you, you touched on it, um, Tom. The um, uh, the increased flexibility that, that 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 there now is in relation to the commencement of civil proceedings and um, and and and, uh, and also criminal proceedings, um, reducing the role of the RDC in relation to that. And certainly on the civil side, I can see one area in which that change is to be welcomed in that if it results in the FCA being able to be more nimble in relation to bringing proceedings itself, yeah. bringing proceedings itself in particular in relation to plainly fraudulent activity, which invariably is activity, which is you know, a breach of the general prohibition. It's a breach of you know the perimeter. And in those circumstances, if the FCA can move quickly uh, and identify, um, uh, uh, identify the right targets and take prompt action to secure assets, freeze accounts, and so on, then uh, if the changes enable them to move more quickly, then that is absolutely to be welcomed because unfortunately there have been, I think, too many instances of, of um, the FCA um, with the best of intentions moving too slowly. And by the time that it has you know, taken action, the you know money has been moved out of accounts offshore or whatever. So um, I hope that we will see a more proactive regulator in relation to those sorts of issues when there are you know assets can be identified and preserved for the benefit of uh, victims of fraud. Although, although, and I, I agree with you, Jonathan. The flip side is that, of course, as they are judge and jury, they they rush to judgment quite quickly and take action, and then um, without any oversight. Um, and then um, it becomes much more difficult to to dislodge that view and to and to def- and to defend the position. Um, so I think that's that's the the danger I think about not having the RDC oversight. No, that's fair. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Mm-hmm. So um, perhaps to wrap up, uh, is there anything else that you see on the horizon? Oh, there's there's lots coming down the uh, <laughs> lots coming down the track. So where do I where do I start? I think. Um, so talking to various people that um, know better than me, um, we might see amendments to the Progress of Crime Act at some stage. I'm not sure it'll be this year, but it might be next year. Um, yeah, the, the, certainly government is looking at the extent to which the Progress of Crime Act should be amended. We're going to see um, that there, there's been a call for evidence in relation to the money laundering regulations. So we'll see changes in relation to the regulations this year. Um, not sure they're going to be yeah, extensive, um, but there will be changes. 
um, reform to the to the suspicious activity reporting regime that's been talked about now for probably well for many many years actually. Um, but there's some suggestion that we might get proposals in relation to SARS. Um, there's the failure to prevent economic crime, which the Serious Fraud Office is really keen on. Um, and the Law Commission are going to come back this year with um, with a view on that. Um, but I'm not sure that will, um, if, it, if, it, if it is a runner, I'm not sure it will happen this year, probably um, the year after. And then uh, finally, from my, from my perspective, um, I, I think it'd be interesting to see the extent to which the FCA start looking at individuals. Because um, so far in financial crime related cases, we've had a handful of MROs. We've not really had many senior individuals um, held uh, accountable uh, when the when fine when large fines have been have been uh, handed out. I read an article recently um, on Thomson Reuters about um, which which suggested there was an accountability firewall. It goes back to the point that Tom made earlier about these huge large organisations. Um, where decisions are made at different levels, and it, perhaps it's not um, particularly well joined up. And as a consequence, that's a bit of a firewall for finding an individual liable for a particular breach, because there are various levels within that organisation um, which uh, resulted in uh, action being taken. And I find that really interesting. You know, are mm. uh, you know are large firms too large to find that an individual accountable? I suspect the FCA uh, will want to address that at some stage. Uh, whether it's twenty twenty two is another matter. Yes, I mean, it's a standard item in the Section 166 um, uh, requirement notices in financial crime. What well, I say standard in 90% of the ones uh, I've seen recently, where they ask the skilled person um, to, in, in a very matter of fact way, identify the senior people that are involved for the relevant period and, and uh, a modicum of the change that has happened over the, over the relevant period. Um, you know, for those who who are responsible, accountable, um, and have some influence over financial crime matters, oh. and so they do they do gather that intelligence at the time that these pieces of work are, are, are done. Um, I do I do think it's a good point that these organisations are are massive. That the, the person and and very complicated. There are legacy problems with these banks that that you could inadvertently be holding somebody to account. Not really because of the financial crime failings. You're actually holding them to account for the fact that the bank, um, uh, their systems and controls are reasonably antiquated yeah. compared to some of their more modern more modern peers. And and really, you're not, you know, is is that the right thing? Uh, is that the right thing to be doing? I think the the other thing to think about is the MLRO is the most identifiable person, but most often, um, especially where they're a, they're a professional MLRO, that that is their job, and they are a career MLRO. They're not an executive who's been given the MLRO roles and adjunct to the many other things they do. But for that type of MLRO, very often, um, you know, if you were to heap all of the blame on them you're heaping it on the person who's part of the solution and not part of the problem generally speaking because in often they are the people that want the framework to advance that want the systems and controls to improve that are the advocates for change in the organization what they lack is the ability to affect that change because as you say the bank is so big and all of the constituent parts of the the framework the the technology the tools the data, 
the business processes, the, the competency of the individuals is so dissipated that getting your arms around that um, is, is difficult and difficult to drive accountability to one figurehead who might be who might be subject to the the focus of the um, of the regulator? I think it will probably happen. Yeah. But I mean, you only have to look at the difficulty that the SFO has in in landing. Forgive the metaphor, landing a punch on individuals when they find that there's been egregious behaviour. You know, that they have difficulty, and and so that you know, it's it's not like it's a path that hasn't been tra- travelled by other. Uh, uh, parts of the organs of organ of state and, and had a lot of difficulty in, in making things stick. The problem is, Tom, that you know, for those smaller firms, as you say, the MRO is the is the figurehead. And um, if the FCA continue as they've done in the past to hold MLROs of smaller firms to account, um, you're going to find it more and more difficult actually to get individuals to, to fulfill those roles. Yes, and the, the price, the, the risks go up, and if the risks go up, the price goes up. And, and as you say, nobody, it, when, when that board meeting happens, when they're trying to allocate that one out, everybody tries to duck. Yeah. Um, uh, I think that, that's absolutely true. It, dis, it distorts the market for, for that particular role. I think if, if there's going to be any focus on individuals, you would have thought it would be at one of those institutions where smaller institutions where somebody's multi-hatting and they're not taking the financial crime agenda seriously. Yeah. You know, you can see have see with the dear CEO letter letters, um, you know, where somebody doesn't take that entirely seriously. You could see that's probably the 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 avenue that um, a regulator would go to if they if they were of a mind to focus on individuals. And I think the the only one the one case where they have done that is that was that type of organisation in the past. Okay, well, thank you both. I think we've um, pretty much come to the end of this uh, podcast. Um, It's probably a statement of the obvious that uh, 2022 is going to be a uh, busy time for anyone involved in uh, financial crime issues. But uh, I think what uh, you've both explained today makes it clear that that is indeed going to be the case. probably twas ever thus but uh, thank you both very much indeed for your for your insights and uh, thank you for listening to this podcast if there are any issues that you would uh, like to discuss with um uh, with darren or with tom or indeed with myself then then, then please do feel free to get, get in contact with us thank you very much